Please open your Bibles tonight to the uh, book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We uh, come to our uh, 73rd through 75th questions in the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism as we walk through that. Last week being the seventh commandment, you'll never guess what tonight is. The eighth commandment. Right in order. It's perfect. It's great. Now, when we think about all of the moral law that God has provided to us, each commandment is addressed on a heart level in the New Testament. Now, I've selected Ephesians 4 for how clearly the Apostle Paul describes the transformation that believers can experience in a life of true repentance. Now, we celebrated Reformation Week uh, uh, couple weeks ago, and when we were thinking about, you know, that time of Martin Luther going and nailing the 95 theses there, I wonder, you know, we talk about those frequently. Have you ever read all the 95 theses? Something you can do if you've never done that before. If you, what you'll discover is the very first one says that all of life is repentance, or the entire life of believers is one of repentance. Now, I pray that we would learn tonight that God's generosity calls for imitation. God's generosity calls for imitation. We will hear God's command against stealing, but we will also hear the importance of replacing stealing with generosity. Now, we will learn to repent, to replace, and lastly, to reproduce. Repent, replace, and reproduce. So if you would follow with me in your copy of God's Word, I'm only preaching on verse 28, but I'm going to read the whole context. We're going to do uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 28. Hear now the Word of the living God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, practicing every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in, your, in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Please pray with me. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, you have given us this time set apart uh, by you, even before the foundation of the world, that you would teach us what you want us to learn tonight. We depend upon your Spirit to lead us. 
We ask that you would give us insight and understanding into the Eighth Commandment and how it applies to our own hearts, recognizing that we break all of your commands every day in different ways in our own hearts, and you're the only one who can help us to see that and the areas where you are transforming us and molding us more and more in the image of Christ, and we're just praying uh, that you would accomplish your glorious work in us this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Wednesday night, uh, Pastor Dan was invited to share his testimony at Boys Club, and uh, he talked uh, a little bit about things that were going on in his life, and then he also was asked to give some parting advice for, um, you know, the, the boys that were there. And he talked about the importance of having good and godly friends and being a good and godly friend. Now, I wish I was in Boys Club uh, when I was their age and could have heard that from a youth pastor. Um, but I can tell you, by example, the other direction, what happens when you're around the wrong people. So uh, I was in eighth grade and uh, was skate- skateboarding with one of my friends. And uh, we-, we were out there and we saw another kid from school that my friend knew, and he was also skateboarding. And so we thought we'd hang around a little bit together. He was kind of a troublemaker, but we thought, okay, we'll just do some skateboarding together. And then uh, he-, he tried to show off. Not his skateboarding skills, but his uh, skills in stealing. And so uh, he had done something to a dollar bill, and then we went into the store, and he went to the vending machine and uh, got out a soda and 50 cents, and then did it again. And when I realized what he was doing was stealing, I was like, I don't want any part of this, and I started walking away. I mean, at that point, my mom had given me uh, $10 in case we needed snacks or anything like that. I could have bought us a 12-pack if he really wanted soda. But for him, it wasn't about the drink, right? It was about the thrill of stealing. Now, I'd love to tell you I successfully walked away that day, but unfortunately, the manager stopped me before I could leave and said, told the three of us to sit down. The cops were on their way. And so it was the first and only time I've ever been in that much trouble to be riding in a police car to the police station. Now, I explained to the officer at the station, I had no idea what he was trying to do. I had no, wanted no part of this. I had 10 bucks in my pocket. I was happy to buy whatever we wanted to buy, but I was not consulted. Uh, and it was, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But man, was I scared, you know, watching my parents walk by that glass window. It was just like, oh, very, very scary. Um, but Nonetheless, the officer understood my situation. I think he encouraged my parents to be somewhat lenient, uh, and I got grounded for a day And uh, in case I really did know, you know what was going on, and certainly to teach me to not be around bad influences ever again. Well, maybe you have a friend with sticky fingers. I recommend you not spending time with that person. He is a bad Influence. Now, sadly, there were people in the church who were thieves, and the Apostle Paul deals with them directly in our text tonight, Ephesians 4.28. He made a very clear and direct call, first of all, to repent. He says, let the thief no longer steal. Now, the New Testament gives titles to people if they have a life-dominating sin. Now, all of us have been deceptive at one time or another, but when you have the habit, you're called a liar. All of us have taken things that are not ours, but when you have the habit, you're called a thief. 
So when a sin becomes your identity, when your, your, your reputation is defined by a particular sin, then you know you're in trouble. Now, before we can understand how this command applies to our hearts tonight, we need to take a step back and define our terms. What does it mean to steal? I think we'd all agree to take something that somebody else owns. But that, by its definition, shows us that stealing assumes the concept of ownership. Okay, so we're going to start with going back to creation and thinking about ownership. Okay, think about creation, um, creation 1 1. <laughs> Genesis 1 1, talking about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if God spoke the entire universe into existence by the word of his mouth, who owns the universe? Clearly, God does. But God is also very generous, and he makes us stewards or managers of his stuff. And this is why governing philosophies like communism are inherently unbiblical because one, they reject God, but two, they also deny private property. In communism, there is no private property. They claim the state owns everything. Now, there's a problem with that because God assumes private property in the command, you shall not steal. Abraham Kuyper is famous for saying, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He owns it all, every bit of it. And so every act of taking something that God has not provided to us is an offense to him. And so we learn second about our own opposition to God, right? Why is it that we are going to go against him and offend him in that particular way? So what leads us to stand opposed to God Almighty? Well, what led Lucifer to become Satan? It was most certainly his pride. Now, pride is that tap root sin that leads to all the other sins that we commit. So how does pride uh, relate to stealing. Well, think about the, the, the thoughts that the thief is having. He, made, he makes a lot of proud assumptions in his situation, right? You don't deserve to have this valuable thing. I deserve to have this valuable thing, and so I'm going to take it from you. Stealing is inherently proud, but it's also inherently selfish. Now, I am assuming that I deserve something that God has not provided. I oppose God because He is not giving me what I want or what I think I deserve, and so I don't wait on the Lord. I determine for myself that I want it, and so I get it. Parents, do you ever observe that heart in your own children? You have told them, no, you cannot have a cookie before dinner. You might see disappointment in their eyes. You might even see anger. And then when your back is turned as you're cooking the meal, what happens? They take one anyway. Now, I would encourage you to not minimize it merely because it's a cookie. Look at the heart that is there. What is it saying? It's saying, I will have my way no matter what you say. 
And so we have to think about what we, we have an opportunity, right, to demonstrate what are those boundaries that we're not allowed to cross? What has God said about stealing? What should we, how should we deal with these things? There are certain boundaries for our protection that God has provided to us, and we have to reinforce what those are and how important they are. But perhaps the child doesn't take the cookie. Perhaps the child just waits patiently, waits on the Lord until after dinner, and you get the opportunity to reward him or her with the cookie for patience and obedience. Either way, whether the child sins or the child waits on the Lord, either way provides us opportunity. First, we saw ownership, second, opposition, and third, opportunity. Paul Tripp says, every time a parent catches their child in sin, the grace of God is at work. Because God gives sinners over to their sin when it's judgment. When we're caught, that's God's grace at work showing us that there are standards, there are boundaries. And so we as parents are instruments in the hand of of God, instruments of His grace. And so there's sometimes you're going to reason with your child. You're going to explain to them, right, well, what does it feel like when somebody takes something away from you, right? Do you like that when that happens? No, well, that's, right, other people don't like it when you take things away from them either. So God is telling us we should not be stealing something uh, from another person. So sometimes you'll reason with them. There's other times that you've already reasoned with them a hundred other times, and you're just going to use the persuasive power of authority. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. That's what God does in the Ten Commandments, right? The thief, let the thief no longer steal. It's just an imperative. Don't do it, right? Doesn't have a, I mean, there's an explanation after, but right, that's the imperative that we're given right there. And the Ten Commandments is just straight up, you shall not steal. So when we are consistent as parents enforcing these boundaries, we're helping our kids to understand there is a difference between good. There is a difference between evil. The more consistent we are, the more we're teaching them, right, what it is to know good from evil, as Scripture says, by constant practice. Now, when we teach our children the difference between confession and repentance, they will learn to repent with greater sincerity and actually turn from the sin, not just say sorry. There'll be an actual change going on. So, for example, when I moved to Michigan, I learned about something called the Michigan left. You're driving along, and to go left, you have to go right. And you do a U-turn, and then you come back straight through the light to get in the direction that you're going. And so, uh, what I realized was U-turns are very common in this area when you're trying to get places, particularly on the Beltline. But the U-turn serves as a good example to us of def- the definition of repentance, right? Repentance uh, is like a U-turn because I'm going my way. I'm going to go this direction because I want to do things my way, and I have to do a 180, a complete reversal, right, to turn back around to do things God's way. So, When we think about the uh, way that God is at work in us, we have to recognize the difference between a mere confession and what real repentance is. They are not the same thing. Confession is the acknowledgement that I've done something wrong. I might even ask the persons for forgiveness, but repentance, right, is returning the stolen item. It's paying the value of the thing that was taken if you cannot return it, right? Just think about Zacchaeus. 
right? He was convicted for his sin, and what did he say? I will pay, right? Not just eye for an eye. He was going to pay fourfold whatever he was took from the other people. He's going to give back to them the people that he defrauded. And so that is the demonstration of real repentance. It's not just, hey, sorry all about that, right? No, it's, it's a transformation of his life. And so when we think about repentance of that actual change, that's what's happening in our text this evening. How many times have we assumed that just because we apologized that that equates repentance? Well, repentance is an action. Confession is speaking and acknowledging, agreeing that I have sinned, but repentance is actually turning to Christ away from my sin. So it means not doing that sin anymore. Now, you may recall when Jesus met the woman at, uh, that was caught in adultery, as Pastor Jeff preached on in John chapter 8 just a number of weeks ago, right? Jesus concluded the conversation with her saying, go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, is that really Jesus' only solution, right? I don't think that's what he's saying, but let's just try it for a second, okay? On your mark, it's set, stop sinning. It hasn't, I tried this before in other sermons, it didn't work then either, right? There's just something wrong with just, just don't do it, right? There's got to be more to it. And I think Jesus certainly knows there's more to it. He lived, died, and rose again because he knows there's more to it than just stop it. There is a powerful thing at work in our hearts, and only God can bring that transformation. And so, We gain a full picture of repentance in our text tonight in Ephesians 4.28, and it could apply to any other sin, and I use it frequently when I'm talking about what repentance looks like. So let's uh, move to the second part. First, we learned what it is to repent, and second, what it means to replace. Paul says, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own Hands. Now, if we truly want to see lives transformed with true repentance, we have to replace the behavior, replace the sin with new obedience. It's not enough to simply stop stealing. We should instead labor so that we can actually provide for our needs. Now, we must fulfill the calling God has given to us, right? He's given every one of us skills and talents, opportunities and abilities for us to labor well for our neighbor and for his kingdom. Now, Scripture is very clear in 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Right? Work is what we were created for. Our God works. Right? He created all things on right, six days. He worked, and the seventh, he rested. Now, I think you know that this particular verse in 2 Thessalonians is a general application, right? We obviously know other places in Scripture where it talks about people who are unable to work and the covenant community comes around them, right? You might think of uh, those that are handicapped, those that are sick, children that are too young to work, older people that are not able to continue working as they had at one time. So these commands are focusing on most people, not thinking of the exceptions. But what does it mean to labor. It means using our resources, right, our skills, our energy to benefit another person, right? Sometimes that labor brings a paycheck, and sometimes you just volunteer 
to let that energy and those skills be applied to benefit another person for free. You just volunteer to help them. But notice the qualification of the type of labor that is shown in this verse. It has to be honest labor, honest work, because there is labor that exists that does not honor the Lord. Now, the Westminster Larger Catechism, as we confessed it this morning, uses the phrase unlawful callings, right? There are jobs out there that do not honor God. You cannot own or work at a porn shop and assume that it's a perfectly legitimate vocation. Now, it's legal in man's law, but that doesn't make it lawful according to God's law. And so, what we have to recognize is there are certain things that God has called us to do, and certain things, obviously, we're commanded not to do. So, think about your own job or whatever you do uh, as you labor each day, maybe benefiting your children at home, maybe you're doing a particular job in a place of uh, a workplace, is that particular job a labor that benefits other people? I'm assuming that almost all of you or, you know, everybody has something like that that they're doing during the day to build up and to help other people. Doesn't mean you necessarily get paid, but you're laboring to benefit others. So I hope you can see the powerful uh, image that this gives to us in this verse of the new obedience, right, of a thief. Just think about the person, right, who was just trying to live by taking from other people. And then he no longer steals, but becomes an asset to society, not a drain on society, but an asset laboring for the benefit of others. Now, I remember when I first started in ministry, uh, there was a woman in Florida who was very industrious, and she successfully got uh, 12 churches to cover her rent every year, another 12 churches to cover her utilities, and other churches to cover her food. I mean, she's got a maid, right? Now, just think about that particular thought process. I'm, I'm thankful our deacons use access of West Michigan to kind of prevent, you know, systems like that and, and help out, you know, the working together of churches. But the amount of skill and organization that took, I mean, she could be a, she's a born saleswoman, right? I mean, to think through all of those things and to work through all those steps, I mean, she could be doing an incredible job somewhere in an honest labor as opposed to what she was doing and just trying to get churches to cover everything for her. Now, all that that skill was just, it was not that she didn't have the skill, it's that her heart was not pointed in the right direction. And so that's why we have to minister to people, not just because they need stuff, but because their hearts need to be pointed to Jesus, right? And so when we think about that, true repentance is a turning of our hearts and our actions of obedience. Now, what happens if we just apologize, but we don't replace our sinful behavior with faith and new obedience? Well, Jesus gives us an incredibly powerful image of what happens if we simply try to turn over a new leaf, or maybe just turn your life around, right? When it's based on our strength, we're never going to be successful. Jesus said in Luke 11, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil 
uh, than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. The house in Jesus' example is our soul, and we can try to clean it up a bit, right? We sweep it up, we get it nice and tidy for a day or a week. You might even get a month, but in our own strength, in our own ability, our sin desires will come back sevenfold what they were if it's only a change based on our ability. If it's not wrought by Christ himself, it will never last. And so when we see true repentance, right, we see that it has to be, uh, the sin has to be replaced by faith and new obedience. It is the grace of Christ that is at work changing our hearts, saying, as Pastor Jeff was saying this morning, right, the goal can't be ours where I'm doing it my way, which has to be God's goal, and it has to be done God's way. And so when we think about uh, all that God is at work doing in our hearts, how is He going to mold and shape us to replace the tendencies that we have in the area of stealing? Well, in our, this morning when we did our confession of faith, we learned that the, tenth, that the Eighth Commandment uh, is not just about uh, stealing, you know, taking exactly that, but it's also, as Pastor Dan emphasized, not returning something I borrowed, right? There's, we're guilty sometimes there. But it, it also said in that context failing to further the estate of my neighbor, right? That I have to be building up and helping my neighbor's estate, not just my own. And so, if you think about business, right, right, we call it a cutthroat business, right? Are we trying to crush our opponents in the marketplace by slander and, you know, doing a bunch of fake bad reviews on their website? Like, is that what God's calling us to? No, He's calling us to genuine competition, make a better product than the other person, provide a better service than the other person. Competition sharpens one another, and then everybody gets to benefit from that. The slander and the terrible things that people will do to crush each other, that is not honoring to the Lord, right? Another very interesting application in our context here, uh, the Westminster Divine said, defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort in the estate that the Lord provides, right? This is very applicable during this particular Thanksgiving week, right? How many people just can't wait for Black Friday that they spend almost all day Thanksgiving Day looking in catalogs and in other things, looking for the deals for all the things they don't have, rather than focusing on all the things that they do have. They rob themselves of the joyful time with their families because they're focused on the deals. They're robbing themselves of a time of celebrating the greatness of God's provision and His comfort of us. And so I would encourage you, right, spend that time counting your blessings. Teach your children, not just once a year, but on a regular basis, to think back to how has God provided for us, what are the things that God is doing so that we can celebrate His provision, so that we would be able to rein in those hearts of covetousness that will lead us to stealing. But God is not finished with us in this particular verse, right? We have so much more to learn about what it means to be mature in Christ's likeness. We don't merely need to repent of our sin and stop doing a particular sinful behavior, and we also don't merely need to replace it with faith in Christ and new obedience, but we also need to reproduce 
this same fruit in other people's lives. We have learned to repent and to replace, and now we learn to reproduce. So that, Paul says, this is the purpose clause of Ephesians 4.28, so that we have something to share with anyone in need. You see how beautiful that repentance is? Do you see the the Christ-likeness that comes out of this thief that was so self-centered is now benefiting a lot of other people? He's generous with what he has. He doesn't just provide for himself. He provides for others as well. That is what the grace of Christ does when it grabs a hold of a sinner and the person says, I'm going to be changed. I already talked about Zacchaeus, right? You can think of other examples in your own life of when God really grabs a hold of you and you're like, I can't keep doing that anymore. I have to step out into this new life that God has given me. I want to share it with every person that I can tell. That's how I was. When I was 19 and I came to Christ, I would tell every person about Jesus. I talked to the guy at the gas station, people on the airplane, every person I could ever meet. That's all I wanted to do is tell them what Jesus did for a sinner like me. Whatever he has done in your life, he wants you to share it with others. Now, if we think about this, I think King David is probably one of the best examples of this truth, right? His confession of his repentance comes in Psalm 51, and he said, I'm just going to read a portion. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Now, we didn't read everything that David said, but he he gives his confession. He promises his repentance, and he also says he's going to reproduce this fruit in other sinners' lives. The Apostle Paul speaks in the same way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And if you know Ephesians 2, you know he goes on to talk about how Christ's obedience, right, his obedience of perfection and his willingness to go to the cross in the place of sinners like us took all the things we've ever done that were sinful and harmful and destructive, and he bore them on that cross. He wants that heart, that desire to walk like Jesus. He's calling us to true maturity. And so when we think about true gospel ministry, it is most certainly making and maturing disciples, but it also shows a multiplying of that fruit through the gospel and the lives of others. That is spiritual reproduction. Now, our call to advance Christ's kingdom will always push us outside of our comfort zones, right? Think about the ways that the Lord has redeemed your sin and your suffering in a way that has actually benefited other people. One of the most powerful verses for reproducing God's redeeming grace is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How many repentant addicts have helped other addicts repent? How many widows and widowers have gone through that horrible dark valley and have come alongside of someone who has recently lost a spouse and are able to talk in a way that others of us that haven't experienced that, I mean, we can try to be helpful, we encourage, but you have a special opportunity to share the comfort with which you have been comforted. I mean, go on and on and on through all the lists of ways that God has redeemed both our sin and our suffering and how he would use you in the life of others who are freshly involved in that situation. Now, sometimes we struggle with how we help people, right? Sometimes we, we, maybe we might do too much, right? We might actually enable a person in their sin. But Paul said, share with anyone what? In need, right? So he actually qualifies it. They're actually in need. We have to know the biblical difference between a want and a need, how can we invest in people, right? Not stealing their dignity, but invest in them, giving them opportunities to work. One of the greatest biblical examples I can think of, right, in the Old Testament, right, you think particularly in the book of Ruth, right, is the gleaners, right? They were commanded by God to leave the corners of the crops, right, so that the gleaners could come and they could work and get what they needed for their families. Their, their dignity was not stolen from them. And so we can pray for creative opportunities. We have, uh, you know, our own Susmanos gleaners, right, it's coming from that similar idea, drawing from those crops to benefit people around the world. Many here have volunteered in that particular ministry. But there's plenty of creative opportunities, ones that we haven't thought of yet, Ones that could come in your own workplace. Like, what would be the, you know, the equivalent of gleanings in your particular workplace? How do we take those and give people the opportunity for work? We shouldn't miss the opportunity when we're giving them that opportunity to also tell them why. We tell them about the Jesus that can change hearts, the Jesus that can transform our life and he can transform theirs as well. I frequently use the illustration of the fact that we're all beggars, and we have the gospel, and so we found bread, but it goes well beyond that in these verses. It's not just that you have bread that you're willing to share, right? You're willing to share it, but you're also willing to train up others to share it, right? That is the multiplication of God's grace that is the reproducing power of the gospel in our lives, and this is how Christ's kingdom will advance until he comes. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you give us such a beautiful picture of repentance and of what Christ's likeness looks like coming out of the sin of stealing. The thief is no longer taking He's not just working to provide for his own needs, but he has become someone that looks like Jesus, giving of himself and sharing generously with others. Lord, what a beautiful picture 
of transformation that only comes from your gospel. Lord, help us to bear that fruit and to come alongside others to multiply that fruit in their lives as well so that you are glorified, we pray. Amen.